Amen. All right, well, we're there in Esther chapter number two. And of course, last week we started this series uh, entitled For Such a Time as This, and it is a verse by verse study through the book of Esther. And uh, this series is not a series on marriage, it is a study of this book, and we're going to get uh, into the life of Esther and Mordecai and uh, all these different things that they dealt with in this book. But the first two sermons do have to do with marriage uh, because the book begins with this uh, marriage crisis of King Ahasuerus and his wife Vashti. In fact, if you would just go back to Esther chapter 1, look at verse 19, just to get a little bit of the context. Esther chapter 1 and verse 19, the Bible says this, If it please the king, and if you remember, these are the not-so-good counselors of Uh, King Ahasuerus is speaking. They're giving him counsel here. They said, if it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before the king. So they advised him uh, uh, to, to have separation from his wife. They advised him to separate, that Vashti come no more before the king Ahasuerus. And, of course, we talked about it last week, the whole uh, dilemma there. Ahasuerus was not showing love to his wife. His wife was not showing reverence to him. Notice what it says there. It says, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. So not only did they advise for separation, they advised uh, for uh, remarriage and uh, This morning, I'm going to speak to you on the subject of separation, divorce, and remarriage. And uh, I I want you to understand that I don't know that Ahasuerus necessarily divorced Vashti uh, because in these days, of course, they would just practice polygamy. He would separate from her and just marry someone else. Uh, However, today in our society, uh, separation and remarriage would include divorce. And the Bible speaks a lot about this subject. If you go to Esther chapter 2 and look at verse number 1, I want you to notice something very typical uh, about uh, married couples. And something I've learned in counseling uh, over the last 10 years, something my wife and I have learned in counseling over the last 10 years, something I would advise you if you ever find yourself counseling somebody, is to never take sides in a conflict between a husband and a wife. And uh, it's always good to stay neutral. And I always tell people when I counsel with them that I am not for or against either of you. I'm against all of you. I'm against both of you. And I will be your enemies at times, and that's okay. I don't need, uh, you know, I'd like people to like me, but I don't need you to like me. I really only need my wife to like me, and as long as uh, Jesus likes me and my wife likes me, I, I'm good. And, uh, and my kids, you know, hopefully my kids like me. Uh, but I want you to notice something that's very typical about married couples. Esther chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says this, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, the reason you don't want to, and look, you in-laws, you've got kids that are married, grown, grown and married, don't, don't get in between their conflicts. You say, why? Here's why. Married couples eventually get over it. They fight, and then they make up. But when you get involved, then they turn on you. <laughs> the Bible says after these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, notice, he was mad for a while, right? He was upset that she had publicly humiliated him. But then the Bible says that his wrath was a peace. Conflicts eventually pacify. People fight and then they stop fighting and things get calm again. Notice, he remembered Vashti. I want you to notice those words. He already, in, in the heat of the battle, he proclaimed that he would separate from her, that he would remarry. His friends gave him this bad counsel. And then, but then when, when, when it all pacified, when it all appeased, the Bible says he remembered Vashti. And what that means is that he missed Vashti. He loved Vashti. He remembered Vashti and what she had done. He remembered what had brought this about and what was decreed against her. And notice what happens in verse 2. 
with his friends. Then said the king's servants. These are, again, the not-so-good counselors that ministered unto him. They realize that the king misses his wife, and this would have been a great opportunity for them to say, hey, you should uh, ask her to forgive you. You should forgive her. You should try to reconcile. But instead, here's what they said. They said, let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. They, he, he says, he starts thinking about his wife and missing his wife. He remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. And they said, well, we can't have this. Let's go find a new wife. Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king. And next week, we're going to develop this idea of what happened to Esther and how Esther got involved in this. And this was not something that Esther wanted to be involved in, something that she had no choice in the matter. But today, I want to speak to you on the subject of divorce and uh, separation. Now, keep your place there in Esther. We're going to come back to it. Um, But go to the book of, of Romans, if you would, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number seven. And while you, t- t- while you uh, turn there, I'll go ahead and just uh, give you uh, some thoughts and introductory statements in regards to divorce. We are told that 50 to 60 percent of marriages today end in divorce. And we're also told that divorce rates are not any better among Christians. With that said, I realize that when I stand here this morning and preach on the subject of divorce, that there are several of you and maybe many of you who have experienced divorce uh, in your life. And I want you to know that I am not preaching this sermon to try to beat up on you, and I'm not preaching this sermon to lay a guilt trip on you. If you've been divorced in your past, uh, then that's something that you need to confess to God. Ask Him to forgive you and move on. The Bible says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. If you've been divorced and remarried, then you need to stay married to the spouse you're married to. The purpose of this sermon is not to try to guilt you or make you uh, feel bad. And there's always the temptation every time you stand up to preach to say, well, you know, people have been divorced in our church, so maybe I shouldn't preach about that. But honestly, people have lied in our church, so should I not preach against lying? You know, people have done everything in our church uh, that, you know, uh, that the Bible talks about. We're all sinners. Uh, but here's what I know about those of you that have been divorced, because sometimes you preach these sermons and people get offended. But let me say this, and if you've been divorced, and I'm not asking you to say this out loud or, or raise your hand or anything like that, but I, I know this, People who have experienced divorce, people who have experienced divorce, and I've spoken to many of you about this, and they've done extensive studies. They've, they've done many uh, sorts of uh, uh, questionnaires. People who have experienced divorce consistently rate going through divorce as one of the most traumatizing experiences of their lives. So, and, and when asked... When people who go through divorce are asked, is this something that you would want your children to go through? The consistent answer is no. And if you're here this morning and you've been divorced and you would say, yes, it was traumatizing. Yes, it was difficult. And no, I wouldn't want it for my children. Then you should thank God that there is a pastor who is willing to stand up and preach what the Bible has to say about it. You should not sit there and make it all about yourself and beat yourself up. You should make it all about the future generation. We've got all sorts of young people in this church. We've got all sorts of young couples in this church. We've got all sorts of married couples in this church that need to know what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. These sermons are needed for young people, young couples, young, uh, young uh, 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 current couples who may get divorced if they don't hear Uh, preaching like this. So this morning, I'd like to give you just a comprehensive and complete idea of what the Bible teaches on the subject of divorce. I'm going to give you four thoughts this morning. I'd encourage you to write these down. You might be able to use these one day when you're helping somebody struggling in their marriage, and I would uh, want you to uh, be able to jot down these notes and and have the references to go along with them. On the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. And uh, we're there in Romans chapter 7, and I'll begin this. Here's the first statement or first point if you want to write down. I want you to notice the biblical elimination of divorce. The biblical elimination of divorce. And what do you, you say, what do you mean by that? The Bible tells us, the Bible teaches us that the concept of divorce should be eliminated from our minds and our hearts as Christian married couples. 
The Bible teaches that marriage is till death do us part. If you're there in Romans chapter 7, I'd like you notice verse 1. The Bible says this, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Romans chapter 7, notice verse number 2. For the woman, for the woman, and again, I want you to understand this. Whenever we read these chapters and we're talking about marriage, you can swap in woman with man and all of that. And the Bible does that even for us throughout Scripture. In Romans 7, 2, the Bible says, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law. And the law here is referring to the law of God, to the commandments of the Lord. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband. Notice these words. So long as he liveth, but if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. According to the Bible, the Bible teaches that, de- that, that death is the only thing that brings us out of marriage. Marriage is till death do us part. The Bible says that if her husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. But the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is found all throughout the Bible. I'll give you a couple examples. We're in Romans 7. If you turn over one book to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll see it again. This is why when we do a marriage ceremony, we have vows that say, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, for better or worse, till death do us part. And by the way, you know, we've got all sorts of dating couples in our church right now, and that's good. Um, But, you know, let me just say this. This is one of the reasons why at Verity Baptist Church, we do not allow for all these little trendy vows that people always want to do. I tell people, if you want to do your little trendy vows about roses are red, violets are blue, you're so amazing, you know, I am too, or whatever. um, You can do that, but we will do that after we do the traditional vows. Because we want you to stand before God and your uh, uh, family and your uh, spiritual family and say these words, Till death do us part. Because the Bible teaches that marriage is for life. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul's way of saying this is not a suggestion. Let not the wife depart from her husband. That's divorce, separation. Notice verse 11. But if she depart let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. We'll come back to that later. Notice these words. And let not the husband put away. See those words put away? That's our King James Bible way of saying divorce. The words put away in regards to marriage mean divorce in our Bible. It says, let not the husband put away his wife. Notice verse 39, same same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. The wife is bound by the law. Notice, as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. And the Bible teaches here that, look, when you're married, it's till death to us part. And if, if a spouse dies, if a husband dies and a wife is now a widow, well, now she's at liberty to marry whom she will. Only in the Lord means, of course, that the Bible teaches that you should marry someone who's a uh, Christian. If a wife dies and you have a man who's now a widower, then he's free to marry. But other than that, the Bible teaches that marriage is till death do us part. Go to Matthew chapter 19, if you would. First book of the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 19, and look at verse number 3. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3, notice what the Bible says. Here we have the Pharisees coming to Jesus. Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 19, verse 3, the Bible says this, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. The words tempting him there mean they're testing him. They're trying him. They're trying to get him to say something wrong. And saying unto him, notice the words they ask. Notice the question they ask. Is it lawful? And again, they're asking, is it wrong? Is it a sin? Because the Bible defines sin as the transgression of the law. You say, what is sin? When we go out soul winning and we preach the gospel to people. What is sin? Sin is the transgression of the law, the transgression of God's law. When we break God's law, we've sinned. And here the Pharisees are asking, they're saying, is it lawful? Is it a transgression of God's law? Is it a sin for a man to put away? Again, those words mean to divorce his wife. Notice they ask this question, for every cause. 
just for any reason, just for whatever you want. Notice verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, have you not read? And by the way, let me just say this. This is usually the problem. (laughs) Usually the problem with Christians is they've just not read. That's why we do things like nine chapters a day. And he answered and said unto them, have you not read? That he which made them at the beginning, this is referring to Genesis, this was the verse that was in the front of our bulletin, he that made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And the Bible refers to marriage as becoming one flesh, becoming one person. Notice verse 6, wherefore they are no more twain. Twain means two individuals. He says, when, when you got married, you, you, you came into that marriage ceremony as two, but you walked out as one. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. And I want you to notice these words. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. What does the Bible teach about marriage? You know what the Bible teaches about marriage? It teaches that it's the death of the spark. What does the Bible teach about marriage? What the Bible teaches about marriage is this, that you cannot unone what God has made one. That man has no business trying to put asunder, trying to separate what God has made one flesh. We're going to come right back to Matthew 19 here in a minute. But go with me, if you would, to the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It's the book right before the book of Matthew. Malachi chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 15. I want you to notice that God is very consistent about his thoughts and beliefs and his teaching on divorce. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15, notice what the Bible says. You're there in, in Matthew. We're going to come right back to it, but just flip back to Malachi chapter 2. And verse 15, the Bible says this, And did not he make one? And again, this is referring to marriage. They are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, notice what the Bible says, And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. Then he says this, And wherefore one? Now here's, this is really interesting, because God's about to tell us, what the purpose of marriage, because the word wherefore means for what reason or for, for this reason. He says, and wherefore one? He says, did not he make one? Did not God say that man shall leave father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh? And then he says here, did not he make one? Then he says, and wherefore one? So he says, why did God institute marriage? Why did God take twain and make them one? Here's why. That he might seek a godly seed. You say, what, what's the purpose of marriage? The purpose of marriage is to have children. Purpose of marriage is to raise children for the glory of God. And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed. Sometimes people say, uh, they'll say things like, well, you know, we're going to get divorced because uh, at this point, if we stayed together, you know, we'd only be staying together for the children. And they say it like that, like a negative thing, like that just, uh, well, we'd only be staying together for the children. Well, then stay together for the children. You're saying it like it's a bad thing. The whole reason you got married was for the children. Some of you had the children before, but anyway, you got married, so good. That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. I want you to notice the words in verse 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that. Notice these words. He hateth putting away. Isn't that powerful? There's not lots of things the Bible tells us God hates. There's, 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 I mean, there's things the Bible definitely tells us God hates, but it's not like just every other verse God is saying, I hate this, I hate that. But here the Bible says, For the Lord God, the God of Israel, saith, He hateth putting away. The Bible says that God hates divorce. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit, that ye deal not treacherously. The biblical teaching on divorce is that you cannot unone what God has made one. The biblical teaching on divorce is that marriage is till death do us part. The biblical teaching on divorce is that uh, God hates divorce. Go back to Matthew chapter 19, look at verse 9. Matthew 19, verse 9. 
Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9, the Bible says this. Matthew 19 and verse 9, the Bible says, And I say unto you, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, the words put away again, referring to divorce, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, we'll come back to that here in a minute, and shall marry another, I want you to read these words, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. I realize that this is not preaching that is heard often today anymore, but I'm not going to apologize to you for preaching the Word of God. The Bible teaches that divorce and remarriage is adultery. The Bible teaches that when somebody gets a divorce, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, when somebody gets a divorce and marries another, he is committing, she is committing adultery. And, and, and then it says, and whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. So the Bible teaches this concept of biblical elimination of divorce. Marriage is till death do us part. You cannot unone what God has made one. The Bible says that God hates divorce. The Bible says that divorce and remarriage is adultery. But I'd like you to notice, secondly this morning, not only the biblical elimination of divorce, but I'd like you to notice the biblical exception for divorce. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute, I thought you were preaching against divorce, now you're going to tell us an exception for divorce. And, you know, what I'm preaching to you is the Bible. I have to preach the Word of God to you. And the Bible teaches that there is an exception for divorce. And honestly, I will say this. People always think that they're the exception to the rule. And here's the truth, and don't take this the wrong way, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but you're not that special. (laughs) The Bible says there is no new thing under the sun. But people always think, well, my situation is different. I'm the exception. And I can tell you this. There is only one very specific exception for divorce in the Bible. And I'm fairly certain that probably no, that it applies to nobody in this room. <laughs> and I'll explain it to you. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 7, the Bible says this. And, and I wouldn't even bring it up if it wasn't for the fact that I know that somebody is going to come up to me after the service and say, well, what about here? Matthew 19, verse 7, the Bible says this. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give the writing of divorcement and to put her away? Notice how divorce and putting her away is used synonymously or interchangeably. It means the same thing. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, because of your stubbornness, suffered. Now notice in verse 7, they said, why did, why did Moses then command? And Jesus comes back because the word suffered in our King James Bible means allowed. He says, Moses did not command you, he allowed you to. Those are two different things. Suffered you to put away or divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Jesus said, this was not God's intended plan for marriage. And at the end of the service, we'll talk about God's intended plan, but look at verse 9. And I say unto you, these are the words of Jesus, whosoever shall put away, divorce his wife. And then here's here's what somebody would bring up to me if I didn't deal with it in the sermon. Except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. People will often go back to this verse and they'll take this phrase where Jesus said, except it be for fornication, and they'll say, well, look, right there, there's an exception. Okay? Here's what I want you to understand. This is the exception. This is the only exception. And often people will try to uh, twist this passage into saying, well, my spouse committed adultery, so therefore I've got uh, a basis, biblical basis to uh, divorce them. Well, the problem with that is that that's not what this verse says. His wife, it says, except it be for fornication. It doesn't say adultery. Oh, well, maybe Jesus didn't, you know, maybe he didn't uh, know the difference between fornication and adultery. Really? Because just a few words later, he says, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Jesus obviously had both words in his vocabulary. He used both words in this very verse. He says, except it be for fornication, he says there is one very unique, very specific exception in the Bible for divorce, and it is fornication. And if you get divorced for any other reason and marry another, Jesus says you're committing adultery. 
Say, well, what is this? What is this exception for fornication? Go to the book of Deuteronomy, if you would, in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 24, and I'll explain this to you. Fornication, by the way, is when two people engage in a physical relationship before marriage. That's why adultery is not a basis for divorce. Adultery is when someone commits uh, a physical relationship outside of marriage. They're already married. Fornication is single people having physical relationship before marriage. The Bible says, Jesus said, there's one exception for divorce except it be for fornication. You say, oh, okay, well, uh, you know, what does that mean? It means that somebody could divorce some, somebody if they find out that that person fornicated or was with somebody uh, else before marriage. But I want you to notice, this isn't something, this is something that God specifically tells us has a time frame. Deuteronomy 24, I want you to look at verse 1. Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Notice this word, when. You should underline that word or circle that word. When. When is a word that gives us the time frame. There's an exception for divorce in the Bible. Well, when is it? Well, I'm about to tell you. When a man hath taken a wife. Now, when a man hath taken a wife, what do we call that? A wedding. A marriage. Right? So when a guy gets married, when a gal gets married, does this say 20 years later? Because you're, comp- you're no longer compatible. When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Like, oh, well, here we go. That's, this, is, this is my marriage. Okay? Because... Because, notice, it's not just, you, we're not the Pharisees here. Can a man put away his wife for any, every cause? No, no, no. And it comes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because. It's a very specific reason. Why? Because he hath found some uncleanness in her. Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send, it her, and send her out of his house, and when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. You say, what is this referring to? The word uncleanness, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, and I don't want to get graphic, of course. The word uncleanness is a word used in the Bible to refer to disease. The way you and I would talk about it today would be like an STD. The idea here, and what the Bible is teaching here, is that you have these uh, uh, young couple that got uh, dated and got engaged and, 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 and got married, and, and both were under the assumption that the other was a virgin, that they had kept themselves pure uh, for marriage. And then this young man marries a wife, takes a wife, and on the night of the wedding night, the night in which they're going to consummate the marriage, he finds some uncleanness in her. The Bible says at that moment, before the consummation of the marriage, when a man had taken a wife, he can say, you know what? You deceived me. I, this, I wasn't signing up for this. This is not something I'm comfortable with. And he can write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand. This must happen before the consummation of the marriage. By the way, let me just say this. This doesn't apply if both of you have committed fornication. (laughs) This doesn't apply if the person you are engaged with was already honest with you and already told you that they have been with somebody else and you said it's fine and you moved on with it. This only applies when someone has lied and said, yes, I'm a virgin. Yes, I've never been with, some, with anybody. They go and get married. They go have the wedding night. And then it's clear, well, you, you've been with somebody. There's uncleanness in you. Then the Bible says you can write a bill of divorcement before the consummating of the marriage. So look, unless you got married yesterday or, you know, you got married this morning uh, and, and, and you find, about, find out about some uncleanness tonight, this doesn't apply to you. 
This is not, this, this is not grounds for divorce for you. This is a very specific situation um, that most marriages are not, gonna, uh, are, are not going to be applied in. Go to Deuteronomy 22, if you would. You're there in Deuteronomy 24. Go to Deuteronomy 22. I'll show it to you even further. Deuteronomy 22, another example of this. I, I want to just clearly teach this because I don't want anybody saying, well, what about that except for fornication? That doesn't apply to you. If you've already consummated the marriage, that doesn't apply to you. If you've been married for 10 years, that doesn't apply to you. Deuteronomy 22, look at verse 13. If any man take a wife, again, the same idea, they, they get married. If any man take a wife and go in unto her, and again, the wording here is referring to the consummating of a marriage, and hate her, and give occasion of speech against her, and bring up an evil name upon her, and say, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found her not a maid. The word maid in our Bible means virgin, and we'll see how that word is used interchangeably here in, in the Bible. He's, here, we're talking about a man gets married, he goes in unto his wife to consummate the marriage, and then he says, he comes back out, and he says, I found her not a maid. I found her not a maid. Look at verse 15. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city in the gate. Look at verse 16. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife, and he ateth her. And lo, he hath given occasion of speech against her, saying, I found not thy daughter a maid. By the way, let me just say this. The Bible teaches it's a speech against you, young person, to not be a virgin. Something to be ashamed about. It's not so, and look, again, if you've already crossed that line, I'm not beating you up. You confess it, forsake it, and move on. But for those of you that have not crossed that line, you maintain your purity. Notice verse 17. And lo, he hath given occasion of speech against her, saying, I found not thy daughter a maid. Notice in verse 15 he said that he did not find her uh, the damsel's virginity. He said, I found her not a maid. Then he says, here are the tokens of the damsel's virginity. Then he says in verse 17, I found not thy daughter a maid. So these words are being used interchangeably. A maid is a virgin. And yet these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city, and the elders of the city shall take that man and chastise him. So here's what he's saying. Somebody goes in to consummate the marriage, and they come back out saying, I didn't find her a virgin. I did not find her a maid. If the parents can prove, no, she is a virgin, Look at verse 18. And the elders of that city shall take that man and chastise him, and they shall immerse. The word immerse means to punish by imposing a fine. Immerse him in a hundred shekels of silver and give them unto the father of the damsel because he has brought up an evil name upon a virgin of Israel. Look, it's not a good thing to be known as someone who's easy or sleazy. And she shall be his wife. And notice, he may not put her away all his days. Look, the only time in the Bible that someone was allowed to put away their wife was if they got married, but before they consummated the marriage. And in the Bible, we find that people will get married and they have these seven-day weddings or they have these long weddings where in our society, it all happens in one day. But in the Bible, it would happen over a period of time. And when they got married, they were married, they made vows, they signed the contract, but they not yet consummated the marriage and they found that the other one had fornicated, had been with somebody else, then they could write a bill of divorcement and get divorced before they consummated the marriage. This is what the Bible biblically teaches. This is the only exception for divorce in the Bible. Go, to, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And let me just say this. Here's a perfect example of this, of this, a very famous example of this that you've heard about. The story of Joseph and Mary. I mean, Joseph and Mary is my case in point. Go read Luke chapter 2. Go read Matthew chapter 1. The Bible is clear that she was espoused, that they were married. Joseph was the husband. Mary was the wife. But the Bible says they had not yet come together, and Mary was found with child. Now, obviously, we know that it was a virgin birth. It was of God. Mary had not been with anybody. But Joseph didn't know that. And, and none of us can really fault Joseph for thinking, you know, when he finds that Mary is pregnant, for thinking she'd been with somebody. Obviously, this is something that happened on human history one time. 
you know. So, so Joseph is under the assumption, like, well, obviously she's been with somebody, she's married. You know, God had to send an angel to explain to Joseph, hey, Joseph, you know, this is of God. And the Bible says, you know, but Joseph, the Bible says that being a just man, he was minded to put away Mary. It, it doesn't even say that he had made the decision. He was just thinking about, you know, should he do this? Because, you know, just because the Bible says you could, even in this situation, doesn't mean you had to. You could always just forgive them. You could always just show mercy and grace. And that's even what Joseph was even minding, thinking about doing. And God sends an angel. So there's an exception in the Bible. And again, I'm only even dealing with it because I want to be clear that you're not the exception. I mean, unless you, again, unless you've not consummated the marriage and you find out, you know, she's pregnant or he has some disease or whatever, that this exception does not apply to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So I said number one this morning, there is the biblical elimination of divorce. The Bible says marriage is till death to his part. The Bible says you cannot unwind what God has made one. The Bible says that God uh, hates uh, divorce. The Bible says that divorce and remarriage is adultery. Then there's a biblical exception for divorce. The biblical for, exception for divorce is this. For fornication, which is something that was done before marriage, and, is, and it is before consummation of the marriage. If you've already consummated the marriage, it's till death to his part. Here's point number three. Let's talk about the biblical expectation if you divorce. Say, so, okay, well, what if, what, if my, what if my spouse leaves me? You know, what if, what if they just leave me? What if they abandon me? What if they leave and I can't stop them? Then, then, then what? Okay, well, the Bible, look, the Bible answers all our questions. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. But and if she depart. So he's saying, you know, here's a guy. And, and his wife leaves him. But and if she depart, the Bible says, let her remain unmarried. So the wife leaves, then she is to remain unmarried. So the Bible teaches that if, if you get a divorce, if you separate from your spouse, you know, there's an expectation from God for the Christian believer. There's two options for you. One option, option number one, if the wife says, I just got to leave, I can't stay with him. If she depart, okay, we'll let her remain unmarried. What's option two? Well, notice, or be reconciled to her husband. You got two options. And let not the husband put away his wife. You can remain unmarried or you can be reconciled to your spouse. You can remain unmarried or you can rescue your spouse. Because here's the thing. God understands that people are going to get divorced. And, and, and there are situations where people are going to leave. And let me just say this. Because, you know, I've been preaching this for 10 years now. I already know what you're going to ask me on the way out. So let me just answer all your questions. Obviously, we would never tell a woman who either she or her children are legitimately in danger due to her husband, you know, beating her, or maybe her husband's a reprobate and her children are in danger, to stay with their spouse. But look, and, and look, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to try to be as careful and as gentle as I can. Anyone who's in a legitimate danger for themselves, obviously, we want to help them, and we're never going to tell them, no, you know, I realize your husband's a pedophile, but you need to just take your seven-year-old daughter back to him. Obviously, we never say that. But at the same time, understand that there are lots of people who, when they want to get divorced, they find any reason. He's abusive. Okay, well, did he hit you? Well, he, you know, made fun of me three years ago. It's like, okay, well, uh, no. <laughs> and look, I'm not trying to be little. I'm just telling you, God, God puts this real serious thing in here because here's what happens. Most of the time, women are like, or men, they're like, oh, you know, my husband's abusive, my wife's abusive, I'm going to leave them. They're already on Christian Mingle. <laughs> They've already got their account going on their dating sites. You know, somebody, somebody walks into my office, my wife and I meet with some lady, and she's like, you know, I'm fearful for my life with my husband. I'm, I'm fearful for my children. He's a reprobate. You know, you know what my wife and I say? Well, don't go back to them, but you know what the Bible says? You need to remain unmarried. You know what a wife who's seriously afraid for her life says? I don't care. I'm going to do what I need to do to protect my children. 
You know, when, when my wife and I look at that individual and say, well, you know, if it's that serious, then re- remain unmarried. But the Bible says you can separate. You go ahead and leave them. But the Bible says you must remain unmarried. You can't marry anybody for the rest of your life. And they're like, well, I mean, well, I don't know. Uh, well, maybe, well, maybe I can work it out. Oh, well, I, then it must have not been that serious to begin with. Women that are fearful for their lives are not on dating sites. Women, men that, are, that think their spouse is going to hurt their children, they're not like, well, I'm already going on my first blind date. No, 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 no. Obviously, if you're in danger and it's a serious situation, God, God puts this big serious disclaimer. He says, if she depart, let her remain unmarried, and then we'll know she's serious. If she's like, no, it's that bad. I'm willing to remain unmarried because I cannot have my children with that man. Then it's like, well, praise the Lord, we'll help you. We'll love you. We'll help you be content. But it's like, well, no, I was thinking that I'd go get married. It's like, you're not serious. Go reconcile with your spouse if it's not that serious. Look, I realize people don't like this preaching. People don't want to hear this, but this is the truth. We're never going to tell somebody if they're in legitimate danger, go back to that danger. But if, if you're willing to remain unmarried for the rest of your life, then we believe that you are serious about how dangerous it is. But if you've already got your, you know, on your way to the counseling session, you're setting up your Christian Mingle account, it's like, get out of here. Here are your options. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. That's it. And let not the husband put away his wife. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 if you would. Ephesians chapter 5. What does the Bible teach about separation, divorce, and remarriage? Well, we have a biblical elimination for divorce. God says, God says, eliminate divorce. Marriage is so death to us part. You cannot unwind what God has made one. God hates divorce. Divorce and remarriage is authority. This is what the Bible teaches. Look, let me, let me give some advice to you married couples. Eliminate the thought, the concept, the option, even the word of divorce from your marriage. I mean, go home and, li- and cut it out of the dictionaries in your house. It's not an option. If you, if, you know, don't ever leave divorce as just this lingering option like, well, if all else fails. No, it's not an option. Well, we'll try to work it out, and if we can't work it out, then we'll get divorced. No, no. There's no option. Burn that bridge. Send those ships home. Let that ship sail. You work it out, and you stay married till death do its part. Amen. Just cut it out. And look, you dating couples, you young couples, go into marriage with this idea. Divorce is not an option. Don't bring up. Don't even let the word come out of your mouth. People often, when they fight, they like to throw that word around. Don't do that. Look, and if you've done that, I'm not trying to beat up on you. I'm, I'm just trying to help you here. Eliminate that thought. Eliminate that concept. Just decide, you know, God hates divorce. I love God. We're going to stay married. Biblical elimination of divorce. Then we have the biblical exception for divorce. What's the exception? It's for fornication before marriage, before consummation of the marriage. Then we have the biblical expectation if you divorce. If you divorce, you are to remain unmarried. If it's that serious, then remain unmarried. But if you're like, oh, well, I'm going to start dating, then no, then go back to your husband. Go back to your wife. How's your heiress? She really disrespected me. You're already looking for another wife. Go make it right with Vashti. Remain unmarried and be reconciled for your, to your spouse. And last, I want you to notice the biblical example for not divorcing. Ephesians chapter 5, every time we go to Ephesians 5, we did it last week, I've done it many times. I tell you that it is a quintessential passage on marriage in the Bible, and it is. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about marriage all throughout the Bible. But Ephesians 5 is the most important as far as it really lays out the roles of a husband and wife and all these things. Here's what's really interesting about Ephesians 5. It's the quintessential passage on marriage. It's the, it's, the, it's the passage that God says, here's the roles for the husband, here's the roles for a wife. A husband is supposed to love his wife sacrificially like Christ loved the church, selflessly like he loves himself. A wife is supposed to submit to her husband and reverence her husband. It has all this. Then you get to the end of Ephesians 5, and then Paul's like, oh, and by the way, uh, I wasn't really talking about marriage anyway. And you say, what? And he's like, well, I was talking about marriage, but I wasn't really, the focus of this chapter, well, I was just using marriage as an example. As an example of what? Of Christ in the church. 
Ephesians 5, verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, right? That sounds familiar. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, what Paul says. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, I've been talking about marriage this whole time. Here's what Paul said. I've been talking about marriage this whole time, but I'm really just using marriage as an example of Christ and the church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Here's what's interesting. The quintessential passage on, on marriage in the Bible, God says, Paul says, the Holy Spirit says, it's actually about Christ and the church. So what does that mean? Here's what that means is that God ordained marriage, your marriage, my marriage, all marriage, Adam and Eve's marriage, to be a picture of Christ in the church, to be an example of Christ in the church. Well, I thought you said it was to have children. That's what the church is supposed to do, have children. Reach people with the gospel, have a spiritual children. Here's what's interesting. You know what you love about Jesus? I hope you love this about Jesus. I hope you're saved. I'll tell you what I love about Jesus, a little word called security. We like to call it eternal security. You know what the Bible teaches? That God will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what the Bible teaches? That Jesus will never divorce you. By the way, now we know why God hates divorce so much. Every time a husband and wife file for divorce, he's like, I hate that. This was supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. And here's the thing about Christ and the church. There's always security. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. I will always be there. It's eternal security of the believer. We say once saved, always saved. You know what we ought to say? Once married, always married. Security and forgiveness. You know what I love about Jesus? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, no matter what I do, Jesus will always forgive me. No matter how much I hurt him. Look, I'm not trying to minimize what you've gone through. Couples have gone through some hard things and difficult things and hurtful things. We understand that. If you got up here and told your story, we would feel with you and understand and say, man, yeah, I'd leave him too. But you know who wouldn't leave him? You know who wouldn't leave her? is Jesus. The Bible says that we've committed adultery against Jesus. The Bible says that we have uh, 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 talked badly against Jesus. The Bible says that we have stabbed Jesus in the back. The Bible says everything that anybody could have ever done to you was done to Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll forgive you every time. He says there's security. See, the Bible says... That the biblical example of a marriage, he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. The beautiful thing about our relationship with Jesus is security and forgiveness. By the way, the only reason, the only reason, if Jesus needed an excuse to divorce anybody, he'd have it. The only reason you and I get to be in this relationship with Jesus is because of security and forgiveness. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Go back to Esther chapter 2. Look at verse 1. Esther chapter 2 verse 1. Esther chapter 2 verse 1. The Bible says this. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Now, the book of Esther is a great book. Esther is a great character in the Bible. And I really love the book of Esther. We'll see next week how she did not sin. This was, not, this was something that was done to her. She was forced into it. She had no choice. But, you know, Esther chapter 2, verse 2 would have been a great ending as well if it would have said, and King Ahasuerus forgave Vashti, and Vashti forgave Ahasuerus, and they lived happily ever after. That should have been, that should have been the end to the story. And that should be the end to your story and my story. Because we fool ourselves into thinking, I look at couples like my parents, my parents have been married 42 years. 
I look at couples like my parents, and you and I can look at couples like my parents and say, well, they, they must be perfect. They must never fight. And I will say this about my parents. They are, you know, they are very careful to not fight around us children. I can tell you that. I, I, I don't even have a memory of my parents ever fighting in, in front of us. And you, you parents, I, I would just, if you got to fight, fight, but don't do it in front of your kids. They don't need to see that. And I'm thankful for that. But I know this. I'm sure they fought. <laughs> Everyone fights. People get to say, oh, well, well, they've been married for 42 years. They've been married for 60 years. They've been married for all these years. You know, they must never fight. No, you, no, you know what? They, everybody fights. Everybody has conflict. Everybody has issues. How do you stay married for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years? Security and forgiveness. Security and forgiveness, that's it. The way that the story for Ahasuerus should have ended was... He forgave Vashti, Vashti forgave him, and they lived happily ever after. That's how it should end for you and for me. The example of not divorcing the Bible is Christ and the church. And here's the truth. If Jesus can forgive me after I put him on the cross, if Jesus can forgive you, if Jesus can say, no matter what you do, I will never leave thee nor forsake. That doesn't mean that he allows us to just do whatever. That doesn't mean that there's not reaping and sowing. That doesn't mean that there's not chastisement. We understand all that. But if Jesus says, I will never walk away from you, then you and I should say that to our spouse, to our kids, to our relationships in our lives. Let's bow our heads and I will pray. Heavenly Father. Lord, I realize that sermons like these are not popular. People get offended. People get upset. People get uncomfortable. I get that. That's not my goal. That's not my purpose. But Lord, I also realize that there are some young people, some young couples, some current couples in this auditorium, listening online, all over, that need to hear these, this type of preaching. And unfortunately, it's not being brought forth from the pulpits in America anymore. Lord, help us to walk out of here saying, you know what? I'm going to try to be like Jesus. I'm, I'm going to not walk away from this. I'm going to work at it. I'm going to try to be the husband that God has called me to be. I'm going to try to be the wife that God has called me to be. I want to work at this thing. Help us, Lord, to be able to have our marriages be a picture of Christ and the church the way it was intended to be. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.